Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. After a great deal of, of hard take, I don't think there's anything else I can do. I will be advocating uh, vote leave uh, or whatever the, the team is called. Many, I understand there are many of them. I, I think they're, they're, that, is, that is basically because I want a better deal for the people of this country. To save them money and to take back control. That's really, I think, what this is all uh, this is all about. London Mayor Boris Johnson declaring for the out campaign in the upcoming referendum on the UK's membership of the EU. And how did Sterling react? Down, down, down it went to its lowest level in seven years. Is this a taste of things to come as the Brexit debate gets underway? And what does it mean for the euro? I'm Roger Blitz and welcome to Hard Currency, the Financial Times weekly podcast on the FX market. With me this week is Peter Rosenstreich, Head of Market Strategy at the online bank Swissquote. Welcome, Peter. The fall in the pound took it to levels it's rarely seen. My first question to you is, was it all about Boris and Brexit, this decline? Well, you know, I think um, we started seeing the sterling selling off in roughly October of last year. And I think that had to do with the deterioration of the underlying fundamentals of the UK and the push out of the BOE's expectation for rate hike into 2017. I think the most recent round of selling has been significantly based on Boris joining the out vote and the potential that this movement is gaining significant momentum. Yeah more than the market had anticipated. Yes. The context in which it happened, clearly, you know, we have, as you were referring to, there was a sell-off in Sterling beginning at the end of October around then. So the context is UK slowdown in growth, global economic growth problems, oil, China, we know all about Mm. that. So imagine if this wasn't taking place in that kind of context. Would we have seen such a significant decline? Well, I don't think so at this point because the outcome is still very, very far away and and still very much up in the air. So it's more or less a binary event and it's hard to price those type of events in. But I would say that, you know, there has been a void in themes in the FX market. We had the monetary policy divergence theme, which dissipated with the Fed um, stepping away from rate hikes in 2016. We also had the low commodity price, which uh, low commodity prices, which has basically stabilized. So there was a void in financial markets, especially in the FX markets. And the Brexit, unfortunately, seems to have captured the market's imagination and really been pushing the sterling around since then. Just wanted direction, didn't they? It needed something. It needed something. And, and you know, and the Brexit really is, is one that the market can understand and, and get, a, get around. Unfortunately for the sterling, it's been caught up yeah. in it. Now, 140, the level at sterling, now 139, even went to 138 uh, this week. Pretty un- unknown levels, not for a long time have we seen that. So, uh, and and we have, we have had some good old sterling crises. Does this smell like a sterling crisis? I think it, it's starting to. I don't think we've seen crisis. I think for the most part, the downside move in the sterling has been 
orderly. Spreads have not significantly widened. Uh, Vol is, is steadily creeping up. So to me, it's not crisis. When you look at historical crisis, when you see the collapse of Northern Rock, you see a very, very stark, stark move down. So I think should we, you know, pick a direction on Brexit, either in or out, we'll see more of a rapid move on the sterling, uh, either buying or selling, depending on the outcome. What do you think investors are focusing on when they think about Brexit? Is it the issue about the current account deficit and whether Britain out of the EU would they be able to maintain those payments? Or is it about trade? What is it that's, that's causing investors to get so wound I, up I about think, it? You know, the interesting thing about, uh, you know, our perspective on this is that for the most part, investors have been thinking very logically about the Brexit and looking at things, as you discussed, you know, trade and, and how much uh, the UK does 44% of its trade in the, in the UK, business investment, how much can be lost, and approaching the, the situation from a very logical standpoint. And I think what we're seeing now is that this particular issue is very populist, and it's not going to be based on sort of logic and data. It's going to be an emotional response. And I I think that scares investors because it it makes less sense to them. Yes. And I mean, it goes without saying, of course, that a a vote to remain in will presumably see quite a strong rebound and can actually put Britain back on the path of raising rates. So what what, what do you think Sterling could get down to? Well, I think if they do decide to uh, move in towards uh, Brexit, I think the the sudden move could be quite steep. I mean, just looking at you know the five to ten percent drop that you see for something like a Northern Rock is something that we could see you know an immediate aftermath. Of course, you know once the the vote actually goes through, it's going to take some process to figure out okay, how do you unwind this this sort of mess, if you will, and that will cause you know um, you know people to to price it more accurately. But I think the sudden we are the the UK votes for a Brexit, you know, five to ten percent quick drop on the sterling is is more likely than sure. not. Peter, are you more worried from a Brexit perspective on sterling or on the euro? Because yeah. there's been a lot of talk about threats to the structure of the European Union and the euro. You know, it's been written up many times before. So Brexit, you know, arguably could just be another one of those threats. Or is there something more serious to it? You know, I think the the first half of the this trade was really about the sterling and, and the, the effect on the UK. And I think now people are starting to look at the broader context and what that means for Europe. Europe has taken, has always been a flawed union and there's always been king in the armor and there's been one test after another and uh, you know whether it's Mario Draghi saying whatever it takes you know or putting together a triarca to save Europe uh, to save Greece they've been able to survive the question is how many more hits can this actually take and if the the UK public decides to move towards an outvote and, and Brexit I think that will cause a significant chasm in expectations that the uh, European Union can stay together. But it's a lose-lose situation because if, if, if Britain votes out, then perhaps others will want to leave. Very much if so. If Britain stays in, then others will want to try and get the same kind of deal that David Cameron yeah. got last week. I agreed. I think um, that is... A, but I would say that, that the, the deal that Cameron brokered last week probably wasn't so revolutionary that every... Not you in know, UK terms, but in European terms. It was, you know. it was, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think many people are looking at it. Many countries are looking at this and saying, okay, we can squeeze a little bit more. And the idea of Europe moving towards a, you know, a, a more unified state, I think, is completely off the table yeah. at this point. You yeah. know, you know, that's really not the case. And and many countries, you know, including Spain, will will go to the drawing board and say, what else could we get? Uh, we don't feel like we're getting a failed shake right now. Okay, we're well, looking forward. We have, you mentioned Draghi and got the the ECB next month looking to ease policy. But before that, obviously, we've got the Shanghai G20 gathering of finance ministers. Talk about coordinated policy action. Perhaps, you know, yeah. some mention of the exchange rate. Expectations are pretty low, though. They? they are pretty low. I mean, there's been all sorts of, you know, well, they could do this and they could do helicopter money and they could, you know, do yes, yeah, so they could theoretically do anything. But but in actuality, you know, the G20 generally talks in currency terms. So most likely a move would be a coordinated currency action. And the likelihood that they could find consensus between the G20 countries, considering the diversity of challenges within that block, I think would be significantly hard. I think that uh, finding, you know, in order for, you know, a coordinated response, you need to figure out who is, you know, mispriced, who are overvalued, who are going to be the winners and losers in terms of an overvalued or undervalued currency. And I think finding consensus within uh, the G20 would be extremely difficult much more likely that we have a very strong worded uh, communique where they put out that you know these countries are going to work together and uh, uh, but really lots without, of fiscal stimulus talked up presumably. yeah but the likelihood that somebody actually can come out with a, a fiscal stimulus deal is is extremely unlikely i think it's more verbal intervention and you know something with as much teeth as as they can put on a a, a, a verbal sort of communique Yes. I presume Japan has the most to try and get out of uh, the Shanghai meeting, hasn't it? And and the yen's continuing... uh, rise against yeah. the dollar is uh, <laughs> it's not it's not going to be sold over this weekend. Exactly. I mean, we've heard Kuroda recently just talking up uh, uh, negative interest rates. You know, um, you know, and obviously he's talking his own book, and he's got to continue putting forward a positive face to a very difficult situation. You know, on one hand, he has the the policy that should be debasing the yen. On the other hand, you have this risk aversion theme that just keeps on popping up and driving significant flow into the yen. So, you know, I think they have extreme challenges from a domestic policy versus sort of global macro situation. And I think uh, Japan will continue to have to, to battle that. And, and I don't see it becoming a, a winning situation anytime soon for Kuroda. Just finally, Peter, the dollar, <laughs> remarkably out of the news, probably needs a breather. Uh, actual fact, some of the data looks quite positive, and yeah. yet the market just doesn't seem to be in the mood to get behind a dollar yeah. rally. I mean, the market has convinced itself that the 2015, the, the recovery from an economic standpoint has been more of a blip, and the next move is, is towards recession. Uh, and they're, you know, discounting any good data, whether it's house pricing or the consumer or hopefully this Thursday's uh, um, durable good number. And I think that's probably a, a misgiven. I think the the, the the data is relatively good, and we should continue to think about rate hikes in 2016. You think um, June is um, it's perhaps on the table, or is that I, too soon? I do think it's, you know, uh, the, the pendulum has swung very uh, aggressively in terms of yields and, and expectations. It went from about 95% expectations for a March hike to about 10% 
uh, expectations for a rate hike in March. And I think that's that was way too dramatic considering, you know, really the, the data had not been that negative. And in a period, you know, in Q1 where the last five years has been difficult for the U.S. and yeah. it generally has a soft patch followed by a relatively decent recovery. So I think June is a good time where we can start talking about uh, the first uh, maybe one or two rate hikes in, in the U.S., well, the ECB would like that, wouldn't it? So it's it's buying buy the dollar, sell the euro, and steer clear of sterling. I think it? so. I think we, you know we'll start seeing this the the monetary policy theme recover a little bit, and I think the the weakness in Europe and Draghi's efforts to hold things together uh, will allow the dollar to appreciate against the euro. My thanks to Peter Rosenstrike of Swissquote. Follow us for all the currency news and analysis on ft.com slash markets and please join us again next week for hard currency goodbye if you enjoyed listening to this podcast you might like to try our ft news podcasts which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists as well as outside contributors you can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.